Hi, the Zickland peoples. You're listening to Your Morning Jacket. Uh, I mean, Your Morning Joe. Uh, damn, obviously, you're listening to the Your Morning Coffee podcast with Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart, weekly music news for the new music business. Take it away, guys. From music business worldwide, Andreessen Horowitz's thoughts on AI shows what the music industry will be up against in 2024. From Forbes, TikTok global head of music, Ula Oberman, on all things music. And from Billboard, Spotify's 138% gain leads Billboard Global Music's indexes 31% improvement in 2023. Those are some big numbers, Jay. Yeah. Big numbers. Very much. Very excited to be doing our show today. We're glad you're here. So we're going to start the show right about now. Stand by for transmission. This is London Calling. Wake up! The revolution is at hand! Your morning coffee is on the air. Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Well, Jay, greetings from the COVID ward here oh, in Southern I'm, California. I'm so sorry. And it looks like you're, I mean, you look like you feel great. I look great, don't I? Uh, you well, really you know, do. I'm feeling. I'm certainly on the back on the on the on the end of it. Uh, sharp listeners may recall last week's episode, where at the end I said I was a little under the weather, and right after the show I was going to be testing. Lo and behold, I tested positive, <laughs> oh, and I continue man. to test positive, including yeah. up to this morning. So, uh, uh, you know, but I'm feeling okay. And uh, good, good. word to the wise, Jay, do not go to a 50th birthday party disco-themed event where there's lots of people dancing in a small room. Mental note. Thank you. I'm just saying. I'm, no, just I'm glad saying. you're on the mend, though. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Got a lot to talk about. Very uh, fun stuff. And then you're, you're back uh, in town. You had a good trip out of town. Yeah, I'm not a good vacationer. I just, I'm not. And I really <laughs> didn't want to go. Yeah, I love what I do. And I can't wait to get to my desk every day. And, you know, you and I have such a blast doing this stuff. Um, but I did go and I did have a good time. And while I was gone, uh, I still put together the newsletter, of course. 
but uh, I was interacting with our friends over at Luminate and mm-hmm. uh, listeners of this program know that it's one of our favorite reports there. Uh, well, it's twice a year, kind of their mid-year report. But of course, we're coming up on the uh, annual Luminate, uh, you know, that year-end music report. And they're doing a presentation coming up this week. Uh, that's Jamie Marconette, who we've had on the podcast uh, with uh, Haley Jones, who's our head of independence. And I'm really excited about that. But I'm also excited that uh, Jamie's agreed to come back on the program with us and walk us through that report. You know, uh, any surprises, hopefully. you know, what trends he's seeing. And uh, that was a lot of fun last year. Yes, it was. It's really fun to hear it from the horse's mouth. And, you know, again, I, I have such admiration and and just a little bit of understanding how hard it is to put together and crunch these numbers. It's a lot of data to pull. It's it's a really Herculean effort, and they do a wonderful job. And it's such a wonderful snapshot. You know, it's just really always so interesting. Yeah, and it's year-end report season, and you and I get really mm-hmm. giddy <laughs> this time of year because we have, uh, you know, RIAA which is uh, U.S. We have IFPI, which is global. Um, we have this Luminate report. It's, it's really exciting to get these reports because there's always something new to learn. And uh, we're going to read these reports so you don't have to. That's right. That's right. It'll be really fun to, uh, <laughs> to check in and hear uh, as we look back now at 2023. What were the highlights? What were the lowlights? What were the things that you should be worried about? What, should the, should the, uh, what things should we be celebrating? And uh, yeah. it's always fun. Yeah. Yeah. So that presentation is coming up um, this Wednesday. Um, That's for North America. And then they have another one um, on the following day uh, for Japan, Korea, you know, Central Europe, that sort of thing. So by the end of the week, we should have a a pretty good sense of when Jamie can join us and what's going on with the uh, with the reports. The other thing you and I were talking about before we hit record was there's been so much news lately about quote unquote, virtual artists. And, mm-hmm. and what that means is basically, you know, real artists, human artists who have virtual sort of uh, avatars or counterparts. And I know there's been a lot of news about ABBA. And even this last week, there was a, a piece in Music Business Worldwide that uh, it was on the economic impact of that ABBA voyage, you know, which is that virtual concert basically. And they've generated over $400 million in the first year. And that, that led you and I to talk about some of these other ones. Yes. Well, and it's interesting, I was, as you were talking about this, I'm trying to think back, what year was it that, remember there was kind of a, a handful of things that kind of happened. One was Roy Orbison. There was, there was something here in LA with Roy, uh, with a with a Roy Orbison sort of virtual concert. So, and there were these kind of tests, but now man, it's hopping, you know, it's, it's the ABBA thing has been going on for a bit now. And obviously to rave reviews, $400 million plus an economic impact uh, in London is nothing to sneeze at. No. And, um, and then you mentioned the Rolling Stone article. It said there's an Elvis Presley hologram to perform on a London stage later this year. Yeah. Like AI, like everything it's, you know, you, it kind of starts and it seems like a relatively short amount of time that it is running full steam. Yeah. We thought it was, you know, Star Trek. We thought it was the future. You know, when we talked about AI five years ago at the music tectonics conference and it's upon us, as you say, and you know, that ABBA thing launched in July of 2022. Um, So it hasn't been around that long. 
right? No. And then that 400 million, as you mentioned, is all 2023, you know, this last year, now that we're into 2024. And of course, in the news lately, there's been a lot of talk of, you know, Kiss and their end of the road tour, and that they're saying farewell to live touring, and that they're really the first US band to go virtual. And they become digital avatars. And I believe that's going to launch in 2027. So I would imagine we're going to see more of this if it has the same sort of success that ABBA has had over in the UK. Yeah. And I was thinking, you know, can, can you think, what's what's another band you can think of that would be a good candidate for Beatles. this? Yeah. I think the Beatles that, might course, be kind of cool. Michael they Jackson. They would, have, of course, have to prove that Michael Jackson for sure. You know, um, maybe Jimi yeah, Hendrix. Tupac, maybe. Tupac, yeah. yeah. So, again, lots of, I mean, and there has to be, much like AI, I believe there has to be some considerable source material with which they can pull from and yeah. uh, sculpt, so to speak. So it, it, that kind of depends. But, you know, and and probably like you, I kind of look at these and go, man, you know, I'm not sure what I think about it, to be honest. One, one, one side of me is really interested, curious. And the other side is like, oh, I, I don't want to like it, you know, but I've heard from <laughs> a handful of people that have seen it, the ABBA one, at least, that it's like freaking great. I think I have to go see it because for me, I don't, it, yes. it's not the same experience when you go to a live show and the lights go out and you see your favorite artist there and the electricity. I don't know if it's going to be that sort of experience, but it could be an interesting experience, like maybe going to see the Taylor Swift movie or, or something. I, I don't know. I was just thinking the same thing, yes. Yeah. So we'll... Yeah, will there be dancing in the aisles? I, right. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And and I'm not passionate about ABBA, so 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 that's another, you know, and of course ABBA had a much bigger following outside of the U.S. than inside of the U.S. Yeah. A bit big in the U.S. as well, but not nearly as big. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. We will continue to check yeah. in on these things. And we do need to get over there and see the Ava show. So yeah, that, that would be great. A, the other thing that you and I were sort of uh, talking about is, uh, and we're going to cover it as our third story today. There was a fantastic version of the Ledger newsletter by Glenn Peoples at, uh, mm. at uh, Billboard. And we'll, we'll get into that in, in a little bit, but uh, yeah, some real positive news there. Um, but we should, before we jump into the stories, we should sort of thank our uh, sponsors, the people who uh, brought us to the uh, party. So to speak, indeed. How about Banzoogle? Uh, our, of course, our podcast, our pod, pod, <laughs> I can't talk, Jay. <laughs> our podcast, I've got COVID on the, on the mouth, I think. Uh, our, our, our podcast is brought to you by our friends at Banzoogle. For go. over 20 years, Banzoogle has made it easy to build a stunning website and online store for your music. Now they've added a brand new EPK plan so that musicians can create a professional single page electronic press kit in minutes. All the features you need to design an EPK are already built in, including fully customizable templates, preset EPK page layouts, mm -hmm. music players, images, text bio, and video embeds, a gig calendar and press quotes, and access to Banzoogle's award-winning support team seven days a week. The new EPK plan starts at just $6.95 a month, and your morning coffee podcast listeners can jump over to Banzoogle.com to try it free for 30 days, then use the promo code MORNINGCOFFEEEPK. K, all one word, to get 10% off the first year of the new EPK plan subscription. That's banzoogle.com, promo code MORNINGCOFFEEPK when you sign up to the EPK plan. Yes, sir. And we're also brought to you by HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music 
industry and trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. It's edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Alana Bonilla. Hypebot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. You betcha Bands in Town. Over 80 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It's the number one artist service platform connecting over 590,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. That's right. I use Bands in Town a lot. We're also brought to you by the Music Business Association. Uh, the Music Biz Conference creates the rooms in which the important conversations that shape the future of our industry take place, representing more than 90% of the music industry at large. The association serves as the connective tissue for the global music business and provides a trusted forum where ideas and collaboration can flourish. So join us for the Music Biz 2024 conference May 13th through the 16th in Nashville. Indeed. Big thanks to Banzoogle, Hypebot, Bands in Town, and the Music Business Association. We certainly appreciate it. And man, for almost 200 episodes now, I've been getting to hang out with my good friend Jay Gilbert. He's a music industry consultant. He is the curator of the weekly Your Morning Coffee newsletter and a former executive with Universal Music, Sony Music, and Warner Music Groups. Oh, thank you, brother. And this gentleman sitting across from me that I can't wait to chat with every week is long time. It's Mike Etchart longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music Group. Indeed, indeed, indeed. So, Jay, let's kind of start talking about some of our stories. And uh, as we jump into 2024, man, it seems weird to be saying that. I know. It it really does. It takes me a while to write down the... uh, the correct year. Our first story is from Music Business Worldwide. Um, it was written by Daniel Tenser. And the headline is uh, Andreessen Horowitz's thoughts on AI shows that the music industry, well, what, it, what the music industry will be up against in 2024. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of issues that are going to be on the table this year uh, as we start talking about the things, and specifically, really, we're talking about how uh, AI needs to get trained because that is such an important part of the process, and that's really what this article is going to kind of talk about. It says if the music industry gets its way on the issue of copyright and AI, it could cause the U.S. to lose its dominance in artificial intelligence to China posing a national security threat while holding back innovation that could improve everyone's quality of life. Mm. Wow, that is a bold statement. It, it really is. And for those that don't know, I mean, and Andreessen Horowitz, yeah, they're a venture capital uh, company and, you know, they're a major investor in, you know, music technology. Um but they have really great, uh, check out their website sometime and, and really, really great, uh, reports. And I thought this, this article was really interesting because we get to see sort of behind the curtain, um, mm-hmm. a little bit, uh, they mentioned that the wholesale appropriation of UMG's enormous catalog of copyright protected sound recordings and musical compositions to build multi-billion dollar commercial enterprises is anything but fair use. And that's, that's written from uh, UMG. We can think of no precedent for finding this kind of wholesale commercial taking that competes directly with the copyrighted works appropriated for fair use. And what they're talking about there is when people use 
this intellectual property. You hear people say IP and they use it to basically train a model or use it to, you know, ingest into AI to create new works, whether that's music Mm -hmm. or lyrics or a combination of the two. Um, And I think that they're drawing a line in the sand now saying, wait a second, you're not going to use RIP and uh, uh, not only to profit from, but even if you're not profiting from it, you don't have the rights unless you get a license to do that. Right now, Andreessen Horowitz's take is a completely different view, arguing that training AI on copyrighted materials is actually indeed fair use and doesn't amount to theft of intellectual property. It implicitly rejects the argument that AI completes, competes directly with copyrighted works. They Ooh. say the overwhelming majority of the time, the output of a generative AI service is not substantially similar in the copyright sense to any particular copyrighted work that was used to train the model. So this was what they said in a submission that was filed back on October 30th, uh, which there's a link actually in the article. You can read the full thing. But yeah. So that's an interesting complete 180 take. Right. And it, it reminds me of a conversation you and I had recently. We were talking about two industry attorneys and mm-hmm. both of them highly respected, you know, um, very knowledgeable. And they had complete different views on, can you use, you know, AI to draw from somebody's body of work? And one of them was saying that if you used AI, that that's not copyrightable. Um, by law. And the other was saying, well, if you're using someone's IP, uh, then it, it really is. So it, it makes this all, uh, a bit gray. (laughs) That is an understatement, Jay. It is, it is very, very gray. Uh, so they, so there's some interesting noteworthy observations from, uh, from their submission. And one of which uh, suggests that there may be no practical way to train large language models, LLMs, that are the basis of many AI products without ingesting copyrighted material. And if those materials have to be licensed, it would give what it sees as an unfair advantage to large corporations at the expense of more agile startups, they say. Yeah. Oh, man. This, this is where it gets a little nutty. They say the only practical way generative AI models can exist is if they can be trained on almost unimaginably massive amount of content, you know, much of which, you know, because of the ease in which copyright protection can be obtained, will be subjected to copyright, uh, the submission states. It, it continues that imposing the cost of actual or potential copyright liability on the creators of AI models will either kill or significantly hamper their development. I don't know, Mike, uh, I see this a little bit differently than Andreessen Horowitz does, and I'm not yeah, claiming to be at their level. It just as, you know, a former musician and someone who works with a lot of musicians and artists, managers, labels, distributors, this doesn't feel right to me that someone could take my work and use it as part of their training, their model to create something else. I, I don't know about that. Well, one of the reasons they say is they say limiting AI's development could cause the U.S. to lose its technological edge 
to China. So again, referencing this submission, it also makes an argument that falls far outside of the scope of what the music industry considers when looking at AI, that hobbling the technology's development through copyright law could prove to be a national security risk for the United States. It says AI is not just being developed here in the U.S., for example, it's also being developed in China, which views AI not as a tool for the betterment of humanity, but as a weapon for greater authoritarian control and influence. As China aggressively integrates AI into its military strategies, surveillance apparatus, and economic planning, Ensuring U.S. leadership in AI is increasingly about safeguarding our national security. We cannot afford to be outpaced in areas like cybersecurity, intelligence operations, and modern warfare, all of which are be- being transformed by this frontier technology. Okay, so let me, let me get this straight. So if we don't allow people to use AI to you know, basically ingest somebody's intellectual property, let's say it's, you know, the Beatles catalog, that that's going to affect our national security. They they, uh, they go on to say that there's a very real risk that overzealous enforcement of copyright when it comes to AI training, you know, the ad hoc uh, limitation of the fair use doctrine that properly protects AI training, that that could cost the United States the battle for global AI dominance. Uh, I don't know, Mike. I'm not sure I, I buy that. I don't necessarily either, but it, but it is interesting to see because don't forget, you know, it's it's not just the music industry that's thinking about this. It's the in tech, it's the entire tech industry, and so I can perhaps understand a little bit of this when you're when you're when you're talking other things, but you know, when you're talking entertainment and and music and art and film, I, you know, it seems like there's a pretty vast divide between that and things yeah. that relate to national security to me. Well, you make a very good point that this isn't just music and I'm sort of myopic in thinking about uh, music. You know, they go on to say in the article that Andreessen Horowitz's temperament is clearly closer to that of the tech industry than that of the traditional music industry. The NMPA submission to the Copyright Office describes AI as potentially, quote, the greatest risk to the human creative class that has ever existed, end quote. You know, despite the possibility of great benefits uh, from generative AI systems that can assist human creators. Yeah, well, yeah, boy, you know, it's... When you when you kind of really open up, I I, I want to be open minded. I think when I mm-hmm. when I hear them make these these comments and statements, but I still don't know if uh, it, it's a it's a long stretch to to get where they're talking about. One of the interesting things they say is we believe that there is no material problem, whether created by nature or by technology. That cannot be solved with more technology. Okay. Uh, and that was, of course, Mark Andreessen, who in, in his book, The Techno Optimist Manifesto. Yeah. yeah. And again, I'm not sure I kind of go along with that as well. So there's a lot of stuff here, Jay, that, that you know, it, it's it's so hard to look. It's it's pretty easy to look into the future, say, six months. But when you look down the road, it, uh, so let's say a year or 18 months or two years or two and a half years, things really start to get pretty fuzzy. And it's really hard to kind of, for me anyway, especially to look at articles like this and really project out and see, you know, is this kind of true? Is this something to consider? Is this... 
is this kind of hyperbole, and I, I'm, not, I'm not really sure. I don't want to dismiss yeah. it out of hand, but, yeah. but by the same token, it doesn't feel like, uh, it, it feels like some of this, and, and I think back again to our days at, um, at Universal Music, where we, you know, the early days of the internet, and people coming in and wanting to build, build businesses, build, uh, build services on the backs of copyrighted material, and they yeah. wanted to to control most of the profit of said ventures. Right. And, you know, and of course we would have to raise our hand and say, um, you need us basically. And, and I think this is, this is a bigger, broader, but a similar sort of uh, landscape of that, of that concept, which is, you know, copyright is impeding it. Well, I can see that it would impede it or can, but again, you know, is, is it going to impede our national security if we don't, let them have free reign of copyrighted material. Yeah, I, need, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't think so. I need to learn more about it, but I would just sort of put an exclamation point on this article that, you know, my thinking is really a very protective view of the music industry and specifically mm-hmm. songwriters, and I I don't necessarily agree with some of this, but maybe I'm not looking at the larger picture um, involving you know tech. Um, so we'll certainly follow this really closely and we'll also speak with, you know, some of our smart music industry attorney friends and uh, maybe have them pop on the show and give us a little bit of uh, the legal side of some of this, because yeah. it seems like there's smart people on both sides that, you know, maybe don't agree. But the bottom line is this stuff's been around about a week and a half, you know, so don't <laughs> feel stupid if you don't understand this stuff. It's evolving and changing very quickly. And as I've mentioned before, a great quote from my grandfather is, you know, an idiot is someone who doesn't know what you just found out. So right. let's leave it at that. And we'll be watching this very closely. Right. That was by Daniel Tenser, by the way, that Music Business Worldwide article. Really interesting. And well, you talk about thought provoking. Yes, it was all of those things. Yes. So definitely worth checking out. Our next story uh, from Forbes, TikTok global head of music, Ula Oberman on all things music, Jay. Yeah, this was a really cool piece. And, you know, I know Ula and, you know, and I've spoken to him and eventually I want to get him on the uh, podcast to have some conversations with us. But uh, this is uh, an interview he did with uh, Steve uh, Balton, who is uh, a writer or a contributor over at Forbes. And it was so beautifully done. Um, and he kicks it off by saying, whether you're a data person or, you know, someone who relies more on anecdotal evidence, it's clear that uh, TikTok is huge. Uh, maybe the largest force uh, at present in driving music uh, this last year. Uh, the app is seen by a billion plus users who rely on it for music discovery, new and old, whether it's uh, Tate McRae, uh, who you and I were uh, talking about recently, or young fans discovering Fleetwood Mac, Dreams. You know, TikTok is a powerful instrument for uh, music. Again, an understatement. Understatement. As Steve said, goes on to say, so the question for me and most music fans is how will TikTok use that influence to help musicians? Who is better to answer that question than the company's global head of music business and your friend Jay, Ula Oberman? That's right. So we're going to go through, we're not going to read the entire interview, but we'll give you some highlights of it. Um, uh, Steve Balton kicks it off by asking Ula, um, do you check out a lot of new artists? You know, um, that's one of the things I wanted to discuss because I think one of the most important things is having, you know, the human element. 
Yes. And he says, yeah, so my background is I worked at record labels for 20 plus years in a couple of digital music companies before I came here a little over four years ago. So I'm a music obsessed person. That's always been my personal interest. And luckily, I've been able to make it my professional interest as well. He says, I feel really lucky that I can do that. And I come at it from a business side in terms of what my job is. But I come at it from a human side as well in terms of just loving music and getting a massive rush out of finding a new song or a new artist or believing in a song or an artist and having the ability to help hopefully introduce that music to lots of people at TikTok or back when I worked at labels through the labels. So that's how he comes at it, he says, yeah. which is great. And you, both you and I know about his background. That's right. And yeah. it's good to have a music guy in that role. For and that, sure. that's something that I think most people miss is that he's not just this TikTok guy, you know, who popped in, you know, with uh, an expertise in, you know, social media um, or short form video. He's been around decades and we've worked with Mm -hmm. him before and he is definitely a passionate music guy. And I feel much better that, you know, the guy driving, you know, the music ship over at TikTok is that music guy. The the second thing um, that he asked him was, you know, at a label, of course, uh, you're tied to specific artists, whereas at TikTok, you can basically promote any artist you believe in. Yeah, and he says, so we might find something that we love as the people who work at TikTok and music and featured on a playlist or an editorial. We might reach out to that artist or that manager and say, hey, just tell us a little bit more about the music. He says, and maybe we can then put our heads together to figure out a cool way to create a video that's going to spark some additional interest or awareness of the song. He says, but ultimately it is entirely up to the many people who are on TikTok who are making videos, who are watching videos. So you're right, we can act on our own reaction like how a song or an artist touches us but most of what happens it's up to the billion plus people who are on tiktok and how they react to a song yeah that's exactly right and i think that's the the part that we sort of know is that yes tiktok can get behind things and they can use their algorithm to put things that are blowing up or starting a fire in front of the right people um, but there is some human interaction and uh, involvement there. He asked, are you surprised by some of the times that the ones, you know, by ones that do take off? And I thought this was super interesting. Me too. Me too. And he said, there are a lot of different ways to go with this. He said, so a good way to think about TikTok and the power of discovery of music on TikTok is this. In the past, radio played such a huge role in breaking new songs or artists because radio had a relatively large audience reach, but they always kind of broke it down to lowest common denominator, 10 songs or so that have... uh, requested well that will appeal to everyone in that large audience base. He says TikTok in a way does the same thing, but in a way completely flips that on its head because it's obviously a much larger audience. You're talking a billion plus people and every single person gets a different feed that is completely personal. And that's the point right there, right? That's the point is that it's completely personalized. And all those years that you and I grew up listening to radio, you know, under our blankets, so our parents didn't hear or know that we were doing it, you know, it felt like it was personalized for us, but it was really more for the broader audiences. Uh, Balton asked, have there been one or two moments or one or two artists that have really started to emerge in there that you've been completely surprised by? 
Yeah, he says they're all different and they're all super interesting. The first one is a big pop artist. He says, I think the next sensational uh, pop artist is uh, Tate McRae. From the beginning, she's very TikTok Mm. native. The guy who runs RCA, John uh, Fleckenstein, who I used to work closely with at Sony, he told me early on, he said, she is the most native TikTok artist we've worked with at RCA. Everything she does, she's thinking, how is my TikTok fan base going to react to this? Or what can I do on TikTok? Mm. She did that from the very beginning. So we're watching that song blow up on TikTok over the last month or so. Uh, and that's, you know, as I was reading that, I, I, you know, was thinking, it's like, yeah, so we are now hitting this generation of artists for whom literally grew up on TikTok. Yeah. And ha- just have an innate feeling and and closeness with the platform because that was just, it's always been there for them since they've been interested in music. That's right. And that's what he's calling uh, being native. And what I thought was great is he followed up that question. He's, he said to Ula, uh, you mentioned Tate McRae being a TikTok native. What makes someone good on TikTok? He says, one thing I've learned since I've been here is a big part of it is just sitting down with the artist directly, or maybe it's the label and the marketing teams at the label. And they're still learning how TikTok works. They get the basics, but in terms of really understanding how to make a video that's going to market and promote your music in the best way possible, how to use the various sorts of features and functionality and creation tools that exist in TikTok, how to program your artist page, they're learning. This is all sort of like the analog in social media of having the best startup at music retail for your music catalog or your new release or your new album or your new song. But artists and even labels are having to relearn how to do that in an environment like TikTok. Yeah. And I can tell that's you sense. that's true because I have those conversations every week. And it's not only that they're relearning sort of how to break an artist by using a tool like TikTok. And, you know, that's one more arrow in their quiver. But it, it's not a cookie cutter approach. It's not something that you can do the same marketing, same short form video strategy with you're starting from scratch basically with every single artist based on who they are, what their narrative is and who their base is. He goes on to ask, have there been artists that you've seen that have really successfully adapted to TikTok and learned it uh, to have a, you know, any that have really stood out to you? Yeah, and he said, we talked about Charlie Puth. Even if you had, if we hadn't talked about him earlier, he would have been one of the first to come to mind to answer this question. He's very witty, very funny, like some of this stuff where he's just talking in the videos. He says, I always laugh. But also <laughs> the way that he introduces the songs where he's just very mysterious and he just, you know, he, he shows how he's kind of laying down the drums and the keyboards and the vocals. And then he says, it sounds like this. He has figured out how to work TikTok to make it really fun and entertaining to introduce music. And that's, you know, and that right there is about falling in love with an artist, right? And that's when, when we market artists and, and you always want them to fall in love with the artist, yeah, not, the, not song the song necessarily, exactly. but the artist. Yeah. And that's why I, I love this line of questioning um, because he goes on to ask, you know, as a fan, is there one artist you personally want to see blow up on TikTok? I thought that was a brave question. It was. And then his equally brave response was older Iron Maiden. <laughs> and it's like he's, he's a metalhead, apparently. So he's talking about Black Sabbath and Ronnie James Dio. So he's say a lot of these old kind of metal bands are wow. the ones that he would like to see blow up on TikTok. Yeah, I thought that was really telling. And that's the bottom line is that it's not about executives like Ula Oberman and their favorite artists and pushing those. 
It's about being open to what, what the users would mm -hmm. react to, not necessarily, you know, what, you know, maybe a slightly older music executive would uh, react to. But I thought this was a really great interview. Um, I'm hoping that we can get uh, Ula on the program soon to uh, kind of expound on some of these topics because I think he's, he's very transparent. He's very open and honest. And as we said before, He's like us. He's he's a music yeah. guy. Music guy. He's got a sure. passion for music. And if you want to, you know, get a conversation going, you know, ask him about music. Yeah, for sure. But as I'm reading the article as well, I'm also thinking about the challenges of marketing uh, and working with artists these days. And, you know, the 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 fallback thing is to kind of templatize things. And it's super hard with TikTok, be, TikTok because... Yeah. You know, it's, it's it's certain things are inexplicable why they why they hit on TikTok, and you really it's really hard to break it down and try to uh, try to repeat those those things or those successes with other artists. Yeah. And you know, it's it's a uh, it's so important, and yet it's a tough nut to crack. Yeah, I will tell you two things that I've found that consistently work on TikTok, and they may sound obvious to some people. Um, but it's not necessarily about posting a hundred times a day. The two things that I've found across the board that work are authenticity because mm -hmm. people can smell a phony or a copycat a mile away. And the second one is consistency. And that's true yeah. with being, you know, having a podcast. It's true with having a newsletter. It's true with anything in your personal and private, you know, professional lives. There's something to be said for consistency and you don't always have to be the absolute best at what you do if you're authentic. And you and I, before we hit record, we were talking about how we would take hard work over talent 100% of the time because we all yes. know very talented people who, you know, we always say, I can't want it more than the artist does. You know, they've got to mm -hmm. roll up their sleeves. I want them to drive the ship and show that work ethic that inspires the team around them to work harder. And a lot of these, you know, artists that you and I talk about, the reason they're so successful, yeah, their songs are great and, and that, but there's a lot of great songs out there. What separates them is that they don't give up. They're super consistent. They work hard and they have good relationships and follow through. And I'll get off my soapbox. Yeah. There you go. All right. Well, let's do our last story, Jay. It's uh, from Billboard. It's from our good friend, Glenn Peoples over there. It's Spotify's 138% gain leads Billboard Global Music Index's 31% improvement in 2023. That is kind of a mouthful, isn't it? It, it is. But, you know, we talk frequently about the Ledger uh, um, mm -hmm. newsletter from Glenn Peoples, and you can subscribe for free over at Billboard. And typically the newsletter sort of gives you a snapshot of what's going on. And if you want to go a little bit deeper, um, you just go over to Billboard Pro and you can read uh, more. And this week, the more is a full-on article that Glenn wrote called, Will Ad Revenue Improve in 2024? It says, a new survey predicts a rebound but not for everyone. And this is based on a media ocean report um, that found radio ad spending will be about the same, you know, this year as it was last year. And while dollars should increase for social media, digital connected TVs and search, you know, he, he digs into how those will perform. 
So, yeah, so back in November, uh, MediaOcean surveyed nearly 1,100 marketers, ad agencies, media companies, and tech platforms, among other companies, about how they expect to spend on various types of advertising in the coming year. The survey revealed that advertising dollars will continue to flee from legacy media, namely print and television, Mm. in favor of social media, digital display, and video and connected TVs. Yeah, I always forget about connected TVs. TVs. Um, social platforms like TikTok, who we were just talking about, they top the list you know, of predicted ad spending in 2024. 69% of respondents said that they expect to increase their spend in 2024 on social media, while only about 28% said they'll maintain social media spending at the current rate, and just 3% plan on decreasing social media spending. So social media has taken the biggest jump in the last two years or so. So digital display and video advertising showed a similar breakdown to social media. 65% of respondents expect to increase, 30% plan to maintain, and just 5% expect to decrease their spending. Most respondents also expect to increase their spending for connected TV and search. These categories were little changed from the prior year, and radio and audio advertising will fare about the same as last year. Yeah, that surprised me a little bit. I thought with some of the things we've been reading about radio that that might be in the decline, but that's that's not the case. And, and Glenn goes on to write that radio companies that have both digital and broadcast businesses should fare better than those without a digital component, and they may already be seeing a recovery. TV advertising has taken the biggest fall over the last two years going into 2022. Only 15% of respondents expected to spend less on local TV and 13% plan to spend less on national TV. Two years later, 33% expect to spend less on local TV and 27% expect to reduce spending on national TV. So although audio streaming has eaten into the time people spend listening to radio, about 90% of Americans still listen to the radio each week. Mm. The same can't be said for video, however, as video streaming has sharply reduced the audience for cable television. In the third quarter, the penetration rate of traditional pay TV, that's cable, telco, and satellite, fell to 54.8% after those companies lost nearly 2 million subscribers, according to Moffat Nathanson. That marks the lowest penetration rate since way back in 1989. Wow. That can be chalked up to the swift rise of video streaming platforms, you know, that we've been talking about. In the third quarter, YouTube TV surpassed satellite company Dish Network to become the fourth largest multi-channel video programming distributor. Moffat Nathanson, who you just referred to, believes that YouTube TV could surpass satellite company DirecTV for third place in less than a year. And I want to touch on something you just mentioned a second ago, and that is that 90% of Americans still listen to the radio each week. And look, it's not sexy, but it's, you go to where the party is and people are still listening to the radio, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, you know, every day when I hop in my car, I'm listening to the radio. And so I, I probably get at least two hours between to and fro and during the day of just radio. And I love listening. I love checking in, to be honest, you know, yeah. and it, it provides just another, uh, you know, kind of a point of reference of what's going on in culture and everything. And I'll pop on 
the local CHR station or whatever they're calling Top 40 Radio these days. And just to hear what songs are popular, what's what's reacting, um, you know, and that's kind of old behaviors in some cases, but it's also a, a, a great way to just kind of get your finger on the pulse of what's going on out there. Yeah, and it's right there. It's in your car. It's yeah. free. You hit the button. You don't have to think about it and put together a playlist or search through everything. You just hit it and go. And the last thing I want to mention really quickly is, you know, we talked about in this piece, this Billboard Global Music Index, and now we have sort of a year snapshot of it in, in the ledger this week to see the growth. And, and as you mentioned, you know, that's really driven by uh, Spotify's incredible growth uh, over this last year. And that sadly ha- had to come at the, uh, the heels of some layoffs and, and things like that. But the Global Music Index, check it out because it's got things like Hybe, who we refer to every week, Spotify, mm-hmm. Ngami, Deezer, SoundCloud, Hypnosis, Tencent, all this stuff. And you can tell just at a snapshot, just glancing at the great, you know, sort of uh, chart that Glenn puts in here, you can kind of get a sense of the health of the overall sort of industry and how it's trending. And it's, you know, I don't miss it every week, you know, or any week. And we talk about it quite frequently. And so I thought it was really great that we could cover it this week. Absolutely. Definitely worth checking out. And on that note, we got to wrap up the show, Jay. Uh, of course, if you do enjoy the show, we would certainly appreciate if you told one friend. And of course, we couldn't do the show without our good friends over at Banzoogle, Hypebot, Bands in Town, and the Music Business Association. Big thanks to them. Yes, sir. And, uh, we certainly, certainly, certainly appreciate it. So on that note, thanks for listening in this week, folks. Jay and I will be back next week on the Your Morning Coffee Podcast. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.